Hello, welcome to Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 276 for April 15th, 2019. Today's guest is poet Gretchen Primack, and I am your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for 13 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com, or just search Mikey Pod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at michaelherron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at Michael Heron, or you can email me at mikeypod at gmail.com. Hello. Uh, super excited to get this to this interview with Gretchen. Uh, it's great. Uh, and before I forget, if you are a um, patron, you'll get a bonus podcast episode with her on Patreon on Wednesday. Uh, so if you're not a patron and you hear this interview and you want more, that's all you got to do. $5 or more and you'll get so much stuff, so much great stuff. And uh, you'll get to co-create this podcast with me. This podcast and my videos and shows and all the different things I make are co-created by members of my Patreon community. So if you like this stuff, it's a great way to be a part of it. Join me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Michael Heron. This concludes my <laughs> my little Patreon plug. Anyway, this week, I want to tell you a couple of things that are coming up. One is this Friday, I'll be performing some of my original music at The Pit. Uh, this this show is called Gathering the Coven with Lauren Mall. You've heard Lauren Mall on the podcast. She talked about her project, uh, Apologies from Men. And she also went on to perform it. We've actually become kind of cool collaborators, and we do a bunch of different stuff. I'm going to be in her musical next month called Bucolic. You can look uh, for, I'll, I'll put links to that in the show notes for this episode. Also, uh, Gathering the Coven is this Friday. If you're in New York, please come see it. We'll be at the pit. And uh, it's a super cool variety show feeling thing that Lauren does uh, on the regular on full moons. So yeah, it's good. It's come and see it. I'll do some original music. And I already said that. Uh, stay tuned this June. I'm starting my own original regular show. Original? I guess it's original, but I don't know why I said the word original there. Uh, my own regular show at Judson. I, I had such a great time doing my album release show there. I've done so much other stuff at Judson. It's an amazing place in the West Village. Um, I'm going to be starting my own regular show. So I'll have different uh, performing artists, guests. I'll be performing new stuff, old stuff. Um, I'll tell you more about that soon. I'm really excited and frankly somewhat terrified <laughs> to get something like that going, but I think it's time. It's time for me to do something like that where I have a regular moment um, every few months to perform some new material. It gives me something to go on, to happen. If you listen to my interview with uh, interviews with Camille DeAngelis, the last two podcasts, we talked a lot about that stuff. And I'm still, I have to be honest, I'm still coming out from under some of this Ah, it's really hard to get my head around it, but I'm going to keep to Monday today. I'm getting this podcast out uh, tomorrow. I'm going into the studio to record a new track. It's going to be a cover, just piano vocal. And I'm going to make a video of it for YouTube. So I've got some footage of another video. I'm telling you too much right now. Um, things are coming and I'm today, Monday, momentum is happening. Momentum Monday. Let's call it that. Is that too corny? Anyway, that's happening, um, and I think that's everything. You know, these are the immediate things that are coming up. Uh, if you want to stay on top of things, check out michaelherron.com. Uh, you can sign up for my mailing list there or you know, shoot me an email at any of the places I mentioned before. I, I love hearing from people, and I love knowing that this work that I do has, uh, import, is important to you. So 
do let me know. And if you would like the super inside scoop, as I mentioned before, patreon.com slash Michael Heron, you could subscribe for as little as $2 a month. You get cool stuff. Okay, that's it. Anyway, let's play a track. The next, the next song, which is also the first song, is from Animal, who has also been on the podcast. Uh, check out her interview. She's great. Oh, my God. This is her latest single. It's called Ouch. And after this, we'll have the interview with Gretchen. Ouch. That hurt. But it's a little bit, little bit. Uh, too much. Just enough to make me wanna run for it. I'm done being ruled by emotions. Yeah. I'm done being fooled by emotions. Too much. Yeah. Too much time. Just obey Either way If something's gotta change Time to get a handle I'm done being ruled by emotion mm. I'm done being fooled by emotion Too much, yeah Too much Start
Joining me now on the podcast is Gretchen Primack, author of Visiting Days and a bunch of other books and poems and awesome stuff. Welcome to the podcast, Gretchen. So glad to be here with you, Michael. I'm so happy to have you here, too. I can't believe we've never been, you've never invited you to be on the podcast before because um, I have your other book, um, Kind, and now Visiting Days is out. Um, there's so much to talk about. Visiting Days, can you give a little nutshell about what the premise of this book of poems is? Sure. Um, this poem draws on my experience working with uh, people who are incarcerated. I've been doing that since about 2005, on and off, mostly on, almost completely on. And there's a lot to that. And just talking to people who have never been in a prison over the years and talking to so many people and befriending so many people who have spent a lot of time in prison um, and being a poet, all of those things coalesced into the writing of this book. So this imagines a maximum security men's prison in New York State, which is a sort of um, imaginary version of the environments where I've worked. And it's written primarily in the voices of imaginary men who are incarcerated there. What drew you, I guess, first to work in prisons at all? Was there um, a story behind that? Really, I was teaching at a community college, and I was at a faculty meeting, and they said, oh, this program, it's a college program in prison. It's looking for volunteers to do writing, tutoring there. And immediately I thought, well, that's what I want to do. It wasn't, I mean, I almost didn't think it. I just was it. That is exactly right for me. So I went in, and um, I did start out one semester as a writing tutor, but very quickly, I was hired to teach and then to do administration and run academic advising and all of that for the program. It just feels, um, that environment feels uh, right to me. I think that it is a pleasure to work with students who are very serious about education and um, there is a lot more torque on their education than there is for a lot of people. I'm going to include myself in this where college is just sort of what you do after high school and it gets you where you want to go and it is its own um, pleasure sometimes, but mostly it's about the goal and, and that goal is just doing what you've been born to do uh, and raised to do, go into some sort of profession or, or something like that in the case in prison, primarily the men that I was working with had come to education later in life. It was not necessarily what they were supposed to do. In fact, in most cases, it was what they assumed they would never do. And it changed their lives entirely. It changed the trajectory of their lives. It changed their relationships with their families and with other people in the prison. And it changed the way that they saw the world. So to be around that is really uh very powerful thing yeah like there's so much about that that's hard you know i when i try to sort of put myself even in your position of you know experiencing that sort of being a part of oh maybe i'm maybe i'm assuming this do you feel like by being in the prisons and and teaching um you were a part of people's um transformation um to a certain extent, um, I, I have formed 
relationships that suggest that where, you know, people have, have said that, um, but it's just a pleasure to, if that's true in any way, it's a pleasure. And even if it's not, if, if I can be around that kind of powerful change, it makes me happy. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess it's more about showing up and doing the thing that makes you happy than having the goal of a particular outcome from doing that. Is that, am I putting that together? Right. Um, maybe it's a combination at the end because I do believe in the power of education. So seeing that transformation and yeah, being part of that transformation is a pleasure, but it's almost like, Oh, being part of any cause, right. You know, moving civil rights forward for marginalized groups, uh, doing environmental activism, doing animal activism, which is a big part of my life. It's, it's just, you can sit by the sidelines or you can take part in it. And that doesn't feel like a decision to me. It's like, of course I want to take part in it. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what led you then to start writing about, and it's, I'm glad you emphasize that these are uh, written about imaginary prisoners in an imaginary prison, because I went to the book thinking they were poems written from, from the perspective of people you actually knew. So that adds a little, an extra layer. I mean, of course you wrote it from your experience with people in prison. Um, what, what, what led you to start working on this project? Well, I stopped, I I had worked for about six years with one college program, primarily in one prison. And then I stopped doing that. And so I was on a kind of hiatus from the experience and I missed being in that environment because I missed being with my students, not because I enjoy, you know, the, the experience of being in a maximum security men's prison. It's not it's not pleasant, but being with my students was wonderful. So I miss them. I miss the experience. And I guess the, it it moved from one part of my brain, which was the, okay, this is my job and I'm teaching and I'm administrating and I'm advising and I'm engaging in that way because I wasn't officially doing that anymore. All of that energy moved to the other side of my head, which is the writer side of my head, the poet side of my head. And I started engaging with them, my students, and that experience in that part of my brain, and that led to the writing. I think while I was in the environment, people would say, oh, are you writing about it? Because I am a writer, and, you know, I'm having this powerful experience or this intense experience. And I said, no, you know, this is, this is my job. This is what I do. It's not fodder for some project, you yeah. know. But then when I wasn't doing it anymore, I did allow myself to think in a different way and to access that other part of my brain that, that I was mentioning. And um, they just the poems just started falling out of me. And persona poems are something that I love to do. And you mentioned my book, Kind, which is about the dynamic between humans and other animals in our time and place. And there are persona poems in there in the voices of non-human animals, um, I have another book called Doris's Red Spaces where a lot of the poems are in the voice of a sort of alter ego imaginary friend named Doris. And I just really like that idea of, of, of hopping into someone else's skin. I think it's what fiction writers would say is their raison d'etre. I mean, of course, that's what they do. With poetry, we're often made to believe that 
we are reading the true feelings of the author, which is, uh, you know, not necessarily something we should assume. Um, but there is a long, rich history of the persona poem. And I think it's a way of connecting and empathizing and engaging with someone else. And I did not feel that it would be appropriate for me to speak as someone else unless that person was imaginary. It's not my place to put words in someone else's mouth. Yeah, that's really uh, one of my questions that I was going to ask you. And I guess I'll throw it out anyway, because it's sort of like, I I guess it still applies. It, It seemed that writing from the perspective of people in prison, for example, and potentially people of color and, you know, um, whether mm-hmm. that could be perceived as exploitative. And I guess even with a persona poem, someone might perceive it that way. Do you, do you think about that? And, and how, well, I'll, I'll let that be, uh, I'll let that question out first. Oh, yes, it can per- be perceived that way. Absolutely. And in a lot of cases, it is that way. So I thought about that from the first minute. Um, it's a huge issue and, and a righteous issue. People should be very sensitive around this. And um, so what I did was a lot of thinking and researching and talking about that issue as I was beginning to write. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to people who were incarcerated. I was talking to people who were formerly incarcerated. I was talking to other artists who have done this kind of thing, writing across experience, across race, across gender, um, and talking and thinking about it. And the conclusion that I came to is that if it is done with sensitivity, respect, with the intention Um, with a positive intention, with experience, with input, with critique, it can work. Does it work in my case? You know, everybody has the right to weigh in on that. Mm. It's a really interesting question. Like, and it's so interesting to me to think about this idea of a persona poem. And just for the sake of my own ignorance, I'm assuming a persona poem is just a poem like what you write um, from the perspective of another person. Of another, yeah. yeah. So I, there were, I, I only say that because in kind, I was actually writing in the voice of, you know, non, non-human. So right, yeah. That's how you define person. But um, <laughs> yes, so there's been persona poems as long as there's been poetry. Um, and you could think of, poet, of persona poems also as sort of um, little uh, dramatic monologues, right? One of my, mm. um, one of the people who blurred the back of the book and who inspired me a lot as a, a playwright named Kia Korthron. Um, and she had thought and written and done uh, little um, dialogues with other playwrights about this issue of can you write what you don't know? In this case, I've spent a lot of years, um, you know, and have a lot of friends who are incarcerated or formerly incarcerated. So it's, you know, to say that I don't know it at all, it's not like, I'm going to spend a lot more time in prison than, than most people who are not incarcerated. But at the same time, no, I've never been incarcerated. No, I'm not a man. No, I'm not of color in the United States in the 21st century. So, of course, I have to think about these things. Um, Kia had done a, a beautiful set of, of it, interviews or, or you know, hearing from other playwrights about this because 
are you going to just write about yourself, right? I mean, does that lead to just intense narcissism and navel-gazing, and how does that contribute to a conversation? So it's complicated. Um, But, yeah, so a persona poem you could think of as almost a dramatic monologue uh, from a play or something like that, you know. Um, One thing I did was I I gave manuscript or uh, poems from the manuscript to people who were incarcerated or formerly incarcerated to get their take on it and take their critiques. Um, And when they were telling me that it was successful, then I was feeling like I could move forward. Had they said, I'm uncomfortable with this, or you're not getting it right, I would have just stopped. Maybe I would have written the poems, but just for me, I never would have thought about putting them out into the world. Um, And then I, I did that with a fellow poet named Randall Horton who had served time, but who is, is a a poet and a professor. And he told me, you know, not only you got this right, but he, that he wanted to publish it um, through his role as the poetry editor at a, at a certain press. So that again, gave me a feeling like, well, you know, the people that I'm most concerned about uh, offending or, giving the feeling that exploitation is here are people who are closest to the issue. So if they're telling me, you you know, this is a way to move this discussion forward, this is something that should be in the world, then that certainly gives me some peace around this issue. Uh, That's one of the things just as a fellow artist, that's one of the things that I can imagine I would set up as like, ah, you better not do that. You know, like, one of those excuses I make to not do something. So it's really interesting the way you 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 went ahead and did it and were proactive about making sure that it, it was needed and, and that you were getting the points right. I think that's some it's it's good for me to note just to kind of file that away. Randall wrote the introduction to the book, too. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. Which. Uh, yeah, and it's an editor's choice selection for the press. The press is called Willow Books, and it's um, it was created for and by writers of color. So when he told me that they wanted to publish it, I said, well, you know, Randall, I'm a white lady. And he's like, <laughs> I know, because he knows me. Um, but they had decided, he and Heather Buchanan, who is the publisher, that this is an important book to be in the world. And it was written as a way to individualize people who are incarcerated. We tend to just think of them as this faceless group of monsters, and that is not accurate, not accurate. So my intention is to try to break up that incredibly dangerous notion and stereotype. And Randall and Heather felt that this book was a way to do that, and they shared that goal, and so they put it into the world, for which I'm very grateful, mm. and they went ahead and, and wrote an introduction for it. I have another question that feels sort of, like, itchy to ask. Itchy is not the right word. Um, well, I'll just throw it out. Like, you, you've written about um, humans in the prison system and um, about non-human animals who are in the food system. What, um, what, what what kind of similarities? I guess similarities in like what were there any surprising similarities? You know, I, I'm I'm deeply involved in both of those issues and see them as part of 
a larger issue about power dynamics um, in the world. So, yeah, there are similarities. When we cage, who we cage, uh, who we feel we have power over, what it means to be lesser than, right? And this connects with other social justice issues. Whenever we make a nameless, faceless mob, we are creating very, very dangerous dynamics. We have a faceless mob at our border, which is trying to come in and you know, destroy America. Let's put them in cages, right? So that's, yeah. that's going on right now on our border. And it, it feeds power structures and it's disgusting. And that is going on with animals, these nameless, faceless, easily exploitable beings who we do not need to cage, but we do. It's going on in our prison system with these nameless, faceless, you know, people who we just need to cage. No, we don't. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's part of a larger system. It's grotesque. And yes, they are connected for these reasons. And there's a poem in the book called The Caged, which talks about who we cage and we cage humans and we cage animals and we don't think about how or why we're doing that or ways to not do that. Um, and that is a problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, there was another one that, that, um, knowledge East wing, that was another, mm -hmm. like, uh, it was really, it's really interesting to see non-human animal related ideas within the pages of this book. People who are incarcerated also think about non-human animals, right? I mean, it's not, you know, people have varied emotions and critiques on all sorts of subject matter, whether they are caged or not. And so in this case, that poem, more than most of them, as much as I say that these men are imaginary, sometimes there might be an idea in a poem or a notion in a poem that is connected to someone that I know, some friend of mine mm -hmm. um, who is incarcerated or has been. In this case, it's, this is the poem that's closest to a real person who is my friend Intelligent, who did go vegan while incarcerated as part of his transformation and his renunciation of violence. It just made sense to him. If he's renouncing violence, he's not going to eat violence. Um, so it is incredibly hard to do that um, in prison for a lot of logistical reasons and other reasons, but he did it. Um, he has been out for many years now and is still very engaged in vegan activism. Um, but yeah, so that poem is based on, is based on him. So it's, it is an imaginary man, but I had intelligent in my brain as I was writing and he knows that he, you know, he saw the poem a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I want to maybe tell myself a little bit, um, just for my own insecurity about poems, it just, thing maybe someone who's listening might feel the same way that like I don't consider like this is my own like and I know this is self-deprecating and whatever but I'm like oh no it's poems I'm not smart enough to like get it quote unquote I, I don't know what I'm looking for with this other than like what 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 is your response to that like it, it's do you run into other people who are like that or can tell they're like that and they're afraid to say it and what do you what do you suggest 
<laughs> oh my God. I'm like that. Are you kidding? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there are so many poems that are okay. Either too smart for us, Michael Heron, or are just full of shit. Okay. I don't know. I mean, maybe both. It depends on the circumstance. There are a lot of difficult poems that, you know, are very rewarding with several readings and with some context and, you know, um, all of that. There are some where I'm like, I wash my hands of them immediately and roll my eyes. It's, you know, poetry is a very varied thing. And some of it is really boring and some of it is really snooty and some of it is so amazing. Um, so I would not feel funny about that at all. Um, sometimes it just requires engaging a bit of a different part of your mind where, you know, we're so used to reading, especially if we read a lot of nonfiction, even if it's creative nonfiction and we're used to that rational mind being in control when we're reading. And with poetry, sometimes it's about engaging the gut, you know, engaging the heart, engaging the part of us that you as a musician knows, you know, is reach that bypasses the brain. Yeah. And that can be, you know, where we're listening for sounds and, um, you know, meter, so, you know, so rhythm and, um, repetition of sounds and the music in the, in the words. And, um, you know, it, it can be very complicated in there, but, uh, if you have a sort of, um, confidence in just allowing the non-brain parts of, of yourself to engage, it can, uh, be very meaningful. That's a really beautiful way to put it because that's what that's why poems exist, right? And why music exists because it connects us. Well, the way you said it, something about it reaches our. What did you say before? It reaches the brain. It reaches the poem. Well, it sort of bypasses yeah. that rest part of the brain. Yeah. You know? And what I like is is poems that do both. Where yes, there's something for me to hang my hat on. Rash, you know, rationally, but then if you've done that, I can also go plenty of places with you. So, you know, it's sort of like if you, if you tie me to something, you can give me plenty of lead and I can float away, you know, but I know that I'm tied to something. So I think, um, I, I try to do that or that's sort of my goal in the poems. But in this, in this book, there are so many different voices that, they're not going to hit you in the same parts of your body. You know, they're not always going to hit the brain or, you know, this one's going for more of the gut and this one, the brain, because these men are doing that, right? Their minds are different. So the way that you respond to them would be different. Uh, oh, this is like, oh, so cool. The idea of a persona poem, I think it's something I want to experiment with because, well, I, Partly because I'm like, ah, I can't do that. And partly because all of my writing that I do, like in my shows and everything is about me, <laughs> which, and I try to have experiences that involve other beings. I'm so many different language things that I'm learning from you today um, <laughs> that involve other beings, like the, all the animal show stuff was, you know, I intentionally had an experience volunteering for a long, a long time at an animal sanctuary so I could write about that experience. But I was still a part of that experience and part of what I wrote about. I think it'd be really interesting to now, like, move myself outside of that and, like, 
really look at someone else's pers- uh, perspective in that kind of way? I mean, I'm not that interested in myself. I don't think I'm that interesting. And I don't think like that I can move the world forward. Like I'm, I'm sort of like, okay, well, whatever, what, you know, when it comes to me. So I, I don't approach things from me, which is probably why I'm so, so much more comfortable in the persona poem space. So yeah. it's almost, you know, my, I, I, I start out with, without me and, uh, and so it's, it, we're starting from opposite places in a sense, you know, but that's the joy of the persona poem is that it's so not about you. And of course it is. I mean, I wrote the poems. You will have written that persona poem. So of course you're involved and, you know, but it's, it's an exercise in empathy and being outward. And, you know, one of my friends who he's been out for a long time now, but he was in for, for many years. And he just said, you know, when I was talking to him about, do I have the right to approach this as somebody who's never been incarcerated was, you know, saying the, the, you know, to extrapolate where we are supposed to go if we're not allowed to go outside of ourselves. I mean, just, you know, he was just like, think about, the navel gazing that that is saying we're supposed to do, mm. right? The only thing we're allowed to think about is ourselves. I mean, that's just, just it didn't make any sense to him. And he's a sociologist, so, you know, he, he knows a lot about structures and the self and the other and such. But, and I, I have to agree with him. I mean, I think it's good for us to get outside of ourselves and, and uh, see what the world looks like. Yeah, and and when you look at it that way, I don't know if I'm using the exact right language here, but the the idea that by writing these persona poems about um, people who are incarcerated, it it it's almost the opposite of what someone might be afraid of doing with that. You know, like you're really making the effort to see what that perspective is like. You know, and you're writing about it, but it's it's it it feels like the opposite of exploitation in a way because your goal isn't to uh, the goal is to help others and yourself experience what someone else is going through yes although even that even you know so i think intention has to be part of it if your intention is to exploit or to if your intention is self-aggrandizement or something you know you're on the wrong page right Mm -hmm. you know that's but um, even when your intention, oh, I'm, I'm really trying to do good here. I'm really trying to help you. You know, that can also be dangerous. But, but I think it's, if it's coupled with a lot with other things, um, you know, humility, experience, research, lots of input, uh, that that can work. But so you're, you're one step closer. <laughs> yeah. Right, to the right thing. If your intention is, um, you know, to, to change things for the better. Uh, but even so you have to be sensitive. And if somebody, I will take whatever criticism is, is offered. You know, if somebody says, I'm simply not comfortable with doing that, that is fine. So far, the feedback from people who have actually read the poems, you know, be they from people who are very close to the situation has been positive, and that makes me happy. Family members, you know, the wife of somebody 
uh, who I who is incarcerated, the sister of somebody who is incarcerated. You know, they have told me that this means a lot to them. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh, I could go on forever with you, Gretchen. Oh. <laughs> we should wrap this part of the interview up um, and go on to do our special bonus interview for uh, my Patreon people. But before we do, will you um, let us know where to find you on the internet? I would love to. So my website is my name, GretchenPrimack.com, and there's a tab there for visiting days. There's a tab there for kind. Uh, There's a tab for sample poems, so you can read poems there from both of these collections. And then if you're moved to support the artist, then by all means hop to uh, one of the two pages and, and go ahead and click on buy and I'll um, send them out to you. I'm also going to be doing a bunch of reading uh, in New York in Woodstock and DC. Um, Seattle is coming right up. So um, on my website, there is a link for upcoming events and you can get details on that. If anybody wants me to go to their community and speak, um, be it at an organization or a college or a bookstore, by all means, go to the contact page of that website and get in touch with me there. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. My pleasure. Disconnected, undivided, unbelieving. Undecided All the forms Torn asunder And we fall By the numbers Through the mud Up the trenches As we leave The last defenses Sound the horns To save the day Washed away, time to go forward, brothers. Time to go forward, sisters. the trenches as we leave the last defenses sound the horns to save the day all pretenses washed away and by the grace of all the promise and by the grace of all tomorrow
That was Casteo. It's the latest single from Thomas Finer. One of those people, come on, like his voice, the music, the arrangements, all that stuff, magnificent. You should check out more of his work. Check out all the artists on this podcast. My goal here is to shine a light on artists I love for you to love them too. And all of us small independent artists, we need you. So Buy a copy of Gretchen's book, download, stream, add these songs to your playlist if you like them, tell your friends. We have to spread the word. It's a wonderful world that we live in for artists right now where we can all share our work on the internet, uh, but we need you to help us. We need you to tell us, tell your friends. We need you to buy our stuff, to subscribe to our Patreon pages, michaelherron.com slash Patreon, uh, uh, no, 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 patreon.com slash michaelherron. Uh, check out these artists and really take a moment. Check them out. Send them a note saying how much you love what they do. It's so meaningful. And this concludes this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that you're here. And I'll talk to you soon.